Welcome to the Begin With DMs podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Jeff. We speak to guests to see how they've pursued their career goals. We go back in time to revisit the beginning of their path and where they wish to end. Yeah, that's good. That's all good. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi to all. How are you doing, Jeff? You good? I'm good, man. Happy Easter, Mike. Happy Easter, Lawrence. Um, it's a really nice day today in, uh, in London. Happy, happy Easter, Mike. Happy Easter, Jeff. Good to, good to talk to you. Cheers, bro. Um, thanks for coming on the show today. So be- before we even began the podcast, I, I remember in December, I picked up Lawrence from the airport and I was discussing with him the idea of creating a podcast and speaking to people who and pursue the goal and dream that they have had. Oh, you were <laughs> you're doing a wee wee. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. It's all right. When you need, when you gotta go, you gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> it's the double, man. The double. <laughs> Can we just mute that one. Sorry if I interrupted your flow. It's all right. I was, so, getting, I was getting my flow on there, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should keep that in. <laughs> I think we will. <laughs> so Lawrence is one of my closest friends. He's been in my life for a very, very long time. Ever since year seven days, he hasn't been able to get rid of me, to be fair. He came to London before Christmas. Luckily, he managed to get to the country during the pandemic and also leave the country. But we discussed this on the way back home. He, he is East London born and bred. He went to the same school as Jeff and I, St. Bonaventures. And it was always intended that we would talk to him about his story because he has had a remarkable life thus far. He's left the ends and gone to the other end of the world and has migrated to the Philippines for the last few years. He had a reason to do so, um, which he'll get to and explain, but I think it's an amazing story. And by making that life decision to uproot and create a life in a totally new country, even though it is his motherland, um, it's brave to, to even do so, and not many of us do do that. Yeah, the choices he's made those years back has created a new life for him, and he's only looking up, and things are, especially this year, there's some great news I've heard from him and he'll get to, but the purpose of, again, speaking to him is that we could have dreams and goals at a young age, but just because you have them, dreams at that time, you don't need to always stick to them goals, and goals change, and the goalposts change, and that's not necessarily always a bad thing. So with, without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Lawrence. How are you doing, Law? Uh, hi, Mike. Hi, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for having me in the pod. I'm uh, doing well. Uh, it's the summer season in the Philippines, so it's sweltering hot, but um, it's Easter as well, so uh, it's always a time for reflection and uh, renewal. So, yeah, glad to be on here. And... Uh, Look forward to, to chatting to you guys. So first things first, we just want to get to know Lawrence a bit, let our listeners get to know what type of person he is. So we're going to ask you a few questions and we like to call it, we begin. You end. Yay! If you could buy any food right now, what would you buy? Pizza. Who's your favourite superhero? Silver Surfer. Oh, nice one. Um, what's your favourite hobby? Photography. Uh, what is your favourite movie quote? Oh my god! 
Um, oh, that's a great one. Next. I'm just gonna... <laughs> <laughs> Describe yourself in three words. Uh, oh my gosh! Right. Oh, um, meticulous. <laughs> Another three words. Yeah, terrible. Uh, meticulous. Peculiar. Oh gosh, I'm trying to think of a third one now. Uh, observant. What is the thing you're most afraid of? I just saw a dead bat in my garden, so that's what I'm most afraid of right now. Dead bats or flying? Or yes, flying bats. or live bats. Could Either a way, a bat. What is the one thing you've always wanted to do? I'm gonna go with the first thing that comes to my mind. I wanted to always go to the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican. What is your favorite song? Oh my gosh, this is uh, this is hard because I'm a DJ as well. Uh, I can't just pick one song, man. That's not that's not fair. Michael Jackson, <laughs> Michael ja- anything Michael Jackson is a favorite, man. Okay, R and B or hip hop? Hip hop. Garage or jungle? Oh man, they they're both a part of the same scene. Jungle. House or techno? No, I can't. I can't say. Yeah, it's both, both, both to those last two questions. Wait, Jeff's stomach just made, <laughs> it made like a 10 second noise. <laughs> I, thought it was like, I thought it was Mario going through the pipe. <laughs> oh my. All right, cool. Obviously, we already mentioned you're communicating with us from the Philippines, from the other end of the world. Um, whereabouts in the Philippines are you right now? Yeah, so um, I'm here at my place in San Pedro, Laguna. So just on the, the boundary of uh, Metro Manila, just to the south. And I've been here for coming up to about four and a half years now. So it's been a while, not, not intended to stay this long. But um, yeah, somehow still here, still finding some some good work and, you know, good people to be with and to work with. But my, my heart is still in the east, the east end of London. Um, so there's a bit of that with me here too. So, yeah. You can't take the, you can bring the east to Philly, but you can't take, no, no. I'm saying it, I'm saying it completely. <laughs> you can take the man out of East London. <laughs> you can take the man out of East London. <laughs> but you, you can't, can't take the East London out of man. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Whilst, whilst we're talking about because you mentioned you work with amazing people uh, can you let the people mm. know our listeners know what it is you do because we like to have like obviously at the beginning of the show a who what and why uh, listing all of your mm. general accreditations so if you could just let people know what it is you do how you you know have you got a passion for it are you are you following that passion or is there another side passion because I know you've you've mentioned to me outside of the podcast that you do photography as well but you're also working in mm. planning. Um, so yeah, give, give our listeners a bit of a, a bio on yourself on, on what it is you do and why we're, we're chatting to you on this podcast. Yeah, so um, at the moment, uh, for, the, for the last couple of years, I've been doing um, urban design and I have a background as an architectural designer. So um, there's a bit of overlap there, but still equally, I have a vested interest in uh, design uh, and that's namely the built environment but it's to do with buildings or uh, designing cities um, and at the moment I'm I'm looking at you know cities in the Philippines but also in Southeast Asia so maybe isn't a field that uh, I originally set out to do but even throughout 
my whole life, I, I always thought that there's interrelatedness to what you do, what you pursue. And at least as I got older, to keep an open mind and trust um, your skills, but also your interests in leading to you, leading you to where you can work on interesting projects with interesting people uh, in interesting places. So, yeah, and today it's, it's led me to this point here. So I'm designing a lot of places, uh, placemaking-focused cities, collaborating with a lot of different types of professionals, including engineers, transport planners, other master planners, architects, landscape architects. So it's a hugely collaborative environment. You know, not just people from the Philippines, but a lot of thought leaders from around the world who I get to talk to on a weekly basis in the name of elevating the quality of urban environments here in uh, Southeast Asia, whether it be for uh, residential communities or mixed-use um, communities or industrial parks. We look at all sorts of um, land development here uh, around the region and try to bring the best practices from around the world to um, create these new places where people can live, work and, and, and dream actually in these uh, countries that are receiving a lot of investment from governments and, and private institutions to really try and um, bring uh, jobs, economy, and new futures to communities and populations here in the Philippines and beyond. So, yeah, it's a really exciting time in, in the region. There's a lot of development going on, and I'm, I'm part of the sort of wave that's happening here in the Philippines with a lot of infrastructure investment. So, um, yeah, interesting time to be here in the Philippines. It's amazing. That's really good stuff to, to hear about, especially because, you know, you're definitely a credit to our homeland uh, with what you're doing and the support that you're giving for uh, the cities, up and coming uh, structures and stuff that you're going to be building around um, Philippines. So looking forward and Southeast Asia. So I look, I look forward to seeing like all of the stuff that you do that you are a part of. So should we, should we kind of go back a bit back in time? Um, seeing as Mike's a good friend of yours, um, let's let's ask you both a question then. Let's put you, let's put Mike on the spot. <laughs> what was your relationship with Mike back in the day, back in those in those like teenage years, secondary school days? So, what, like, did you did you get along? Was it was there an instant like link as soon as you guys met? I would I would like to say so. <laughs> I don't know. Law might disagree. When I started year seven, I only knew only a handful of people from a primary school that I went to because I only joined, rejoined, I went back to London in year six. So I only knew a couple of heads. Only two people from my primary school went to Bonds. St. Bonds. Mm -hmm. All the other people were from St. Joachim's and I didn't see them for over a year. So I weren't as close to them as before. So we was in the same, <laughs> so me and Lawrence, we was in the same form class. Which form class is that? Atkinson, yes. Can we give our listeners a history of like who, like our form mm. class names and what they've been named after? Because I actually I've forgotten. Just just for I guess for people who aren't familiar with uh, with the way our form classes were were named, um, the year was divided into two, and then uh, there was a a different form for every tier. Let's say, even though 
maybe it's probably not good to rank the form classes, but we started with the top. So we had Atkinson on one side, Bell on the other side. So we would see them as our rivals, Bell, and we were in Atkinson. Then you had these were like um, these are the Coleman. overachievers, isn't it? The overachievers, uh, the ones that have a good path in. <laughs> <laughs> we we funnily enough we had a talk me and Lawrence about that we were discussing this wasn't we about the 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 type the period of time you're born in in a year and how that dictates your future how it can massively influence your birth your life path if you're born at the end of August or the beginning of September that's very true different you can go mm. just by that choice yeah. but also then being put into a form class in secondary school where people are only going by grades that you achieved in one year in primary school. Yeah. And, um, what, is there a term that we were talking about? Is there a study, Lawrence, when we were t- discussing this? Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's, a book, it's a book, which I, yeah, I think I really highly recommend. It's called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. So in the beginning part of the book, he talks about, you know, you know how the whole society is based on merit, etc. cetera. Mm. Um, but when you actually break it down, there are these arbitrary things in life which um, separate um, people, whether they might be from the same neighborhood or, or background, um, such as what Mike was talking about, whether you're cut off um, in a certain year group because of you are born in August or September, or if you are put into a certain class, like let's say the top class versus the, the middle class because you achieved a certain grade. And that's how that somehow uh, diverges people further and further as they go in life. So um, a person who would be put in the top tier would advance or get a better opportunity to uh, get into a, another talented group later on, maybe a couple of years down the line, whereas the person in the second group uh, wouldn't get that opportunity. So people's chances throughout life uh, vary and differ, but uh, sometimes it's not down to their own doing or by their own merit. It's because the system uh, doesn't work. By, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're somehow the way you're selected for certain things may mean that your path might be different. But you know, it's it's a very simplistic simplistic way to look at it. But because you have people who just succeed later on in life, and mm. um, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I do believe like people, everyone has their own pace in life uh, in terms of mm. you know finding themselves finding out what they want to do and achieving that like their goals but um, yeah. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of factors when it comes into these kind of things but yeah I I do because I've I've got kids right I've got three kids and mm. uh, I definitely see it in my daughter so my daughter's born my daughter's born in October and she's in reception now uh, my eldest son is born in May there is a pattern that kind of relates back to this book where my son is born in May. He's like one of the youngest students in his class. And then when you look at my daughter, who's born in October and she's one of the older kids in her year, again, she's like, um, in her school report, she's, um, what's the word? Not overachieving. She's exceeding expectations. And I can tell with like her reading, her writing, her comprehension, she did a lot better than what my son was doing around this time when they were having their, you know, parents evening school reports. So I believe, yeah, it does, like you said, like you're put into a certain, like you say, tier due to the fact that you're born at a certain time 
and I think yeah definitely when I look back at my kids I'd like you know I'd like to have a read of that but what is it called Outliers yeah it's called Outliers um, by Malcolm Gladwell um, so he, he writes a lot about um, uh, psychology and society um, so that's one of his um, early texts and um, yeah it's really interesting check it out cool I mean, I think we're digressing a little bit. But with, 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 with Lawrence, so in year seven, so I would say Lawrence was the academic. Yeah. I was very, me and Lawrence were very, very close. We were mm. talking cheese. Would you agree, Law, in terms of attitude? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, we, we were talk, talking cheese, but uh, yeah, we, we got on really well, um, you know, despite we had differences. I think that's what made us maybe gel. Uh, yeah, opposites attract, but not, not, all the way, Mike, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and that was it. So I always saw Lawrence as the high achiever. I was more, I would say, laid back and I would be the one who would be doing his own work the day before deadline and yeah, etc. And But that's not to say that you're not doing well in life. I no, mean, that's fine. I'm happy with the way... It, uh, you know, this, is, it is. this is just a label that school gives like your average students, your yeah. students. But I mean, mm. does it mean that, you know you're not necessarily successful. It's very subjective mm. when you look at that word. So, yeah. but the, I think the reason I was asking about form classes and tier, you know, tier labeling and all of that stuff, because like Mike's, Mike's told me like, cause you're in Atkinson, you're seen as like the grade A student, but things haven't always, am I right in saying that things haven't always gone smoothly and following the exact same path that you were dreaming of as a kid and you've had to kind of steer away from it a bit, not to say that you were, you know, going in a negative path, but you've actually just found a different path that's still positive. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So I think um, to, to give more context to that, um, as Mike said, I was a high achiever. I'd, I'll admit that because I did, I did really well at school, um, was always top of the class. So back then, you know, people call you boffins, right? So yeah. I was one of the boffins. Yeah, that, that was um, a bit of a tag for myself. And, you know, I was always used to getting success, getting praise uh, from teachers. Um, but, you know, partly because I just really enjoyed learning. Um, and maybe sometimes I enjoyed it a bit too much, maybe at the expense of my social development skills, which I had to, like, you know, pick up uh, a bit later on when it came to talking to different types of people. I was always very comfortable with talking to people like Mike and my, my friends in my class, but somehow like my, my focus on myself and studying was um, sometimes a bit intense, too intense maybe uh, um, without me trying to go out there and be social. Um, I was always thinking that studying hard was, was the number one thing. Therefore, no other distraction should um, lead me astray. Because uh, back then, I think my me mentality was, you know, I really wanted to to do well, uh, to be the best. And um, as I grew older, I realized, you know, when I left school and in a way, when I left the ends, when I went to Sheffield to study at, uh, architecture at university, that's when uh, a lot of things um, didn't go as, as I had expected initially. Mm. Um, but at the same time, it didn't stopped me from persevering. I think it was my first real wake-up call when I wasn't achieving the top grades uh, at university, even though I was putting the hours and the effort in that. It was a bit of a shock, actually, to myself that I, I wasn't succeeding. And um, 
all that success I'd been accustomed to in school in our area in East London um, was somehow not translating to the class I was in at university. So that was um, a bit of a wake-up call for me. I got pretty down about it after first year, and it really put into doubt a lot of my confidence in what I wanted to do, you know, striving this path um, to be an architect. But I remember one one time seeing all of my my peers pass that year, and I'd failed the year, actually. And I remember, you know, going to a club and seeing them celebrating the end of the year, and I hadn't made it through. And it was just, I just, it was a, a sickening feeling, actually. And I, I, you know, at that point, I was kind of really determined to to not feel like that again. Um, so anyway, I progressed. Uh, next year, I repeated. I went through. And then in the end, at the end of the, end of the degree, I did really well. I was back, you know, near the top of the class as well. So I did really well. <clears throat> and you think, you know, from that point on, you just take confidence from that and go on. And yes, got me into some really good places, got some good work experience. And then not that um, I didn't think it wouldn't happen again, but, you know, things do happen in life as you grow older. And um, it did happen again where, you know, my confidence was not after working a couple of years in industry and then going back to university and, you know, hoping for the best. And yeah, things started to maybe unravel a bit again. So you, uh, and you I think, interject, but you, so you're saying you had a few setbacks when it came to, you know, having sort of a, not a short period, but you had a period where you, you did well, you picked yourself up back at uni after mm-hmm. having a, a failure of a first year. And then you picked yourself back up, you persevered, decided to do your resits, did even better than you'd hope um, mm-hmm. after, you know, giving yourself another try. You managed to get... Mm-hmm and land some, some really good opportunities after university. And then what, what, around what time was this where you sort of had another uh, relapse of like unraveling? Yeah, so I, I, it was coming off the back of uh, working in industry. I'd worked at some, some really uh, renowned architecture offices. So around the time I graduated, it was a recession, the global recession. And as a result, um, I got to work at different firms because I actually got made redundant twice in a year, wow. but that also meant that my my network expanded. So I got a lot of help in getting into um, some good offices. And then after that, you know, confidence is riding high. Went back into the university to study masters. You know, it was uh, UCL that I'd, I'd entered um, to study my masters. Got accepted there. Really. Top, top, top university where all the best um, students go. And um, a place known for its, um, you know, it's a, it's a school of hard knocks. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought, you know, I was in a good position. I thought I'd test myself, of course, as I've always done. But um, again, first semester was, was really grueling, actually. And, um, you know, as mentally best prepared as I was, perhaps I, I wasn't taking the pressure so well. Um, and yeah, again, I, I went through another dip and that was another difficult thing to, to deal with. I dropped out and, um, it was another period of, um, it was a bad place, I suppose. And it took me a while to, to get back on my feet again and work things through. But, you know, uh, that time really did hit me hard. Um, 
it was a similar kind of experience, but in many ways a lot different because you've got a lot more experience and you're, you're kind getting, of heading like towards kind of, mature. Sorry, you're, so you're kind of, where you're at an older age, you're kind of, there's a lot more pressure because you've got things at the back of your head saying, you know, you're getting older and you're, you haven't finished where, the way you wanted to. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you, you played really well there, actually. I wouldn't say I've had a similar situation, but I'm not, I don't know if Mike is, I'd say like Mike, I'm not academically gifted at the level that you are. Speak I mean, for I, yourself. Without, without making this about me, but like, just quickly say, like, I, I went into university, not that I failed the first year, I just fucked about too much that I thought, I, I just, yeah, I just didn't hand in one piece of work and I failed the whole year, basically. I fucked myself then. Mm. Um, so I had to resit the first year. And then after about two years, I thought, I really don't want to do this. And I kind of dropped out. I was a college dropout. Parents weren't mm. happy, as you can expect. But I thought, you know, mm. I made the commitment to just work hard and try and, you know, at least contribute to something for my family. Um, so I just felt like any other person who's just dropped out of uni, they're just... They've got a retail job on the side. They're trying to find their career. When you have you have very high standards, at what age did you set these high standards and how how much of them were influenced by your parents? Yeah, so I think from, from a young age, um, around the time I met you, Mike, I think that's where um, I set standards for myself, actually. So throughout school, throughout uh, academia, and later on in life in my adult, adulthood, my professional life, I'd always set these really high standards for myself uh, because I, I didn't believe anything less would be good enough. But at the same time, that's kind of a, a dangerous mindset also, as I've, as I've found out the hard way. So uh, my parents never really forced me into doing um, anything or pursuing a, a certain path. Um, I'd always trusted my kind of gut instinct and my work ethic to get me to places um, the tr- transition to secondary school was really, um, you know, turning the page. Uh, and kind of at that age, you're, you're, you have a lot of uh, memories about, um, or awareness, I'd just say, not, not memories because you're, you're still starting secondary school, but awareness of your surroundings, who you're growing up with, the community around, which is for us, you know, the Filipino community, community and your friends and, you know, where they're from. So, yeah, I just, you know, I don't know what brought it about, but, you know, being around people at that time when I was that age, I was thinking that I should really do the best I can um, and work really hard. I know your, your parents will always say, you know, study hard and get a good job and um, be successful, you know, in those simple terms, but, you never really know what that what that means, or that might just be um, these very simple notions of trying to to get a career that pays a lot of money. Yeah, maybe your parents, um, you know, always want the best for your kids, and just think of the typical, you know, the typical professions that equate with success. What kind um, of um, my- sorry? What kind of jobs were the, you know, were they expecting you? Because I, I think it's kind of common in Filipino culture for parents to always have that idealistic job mm. for you when you're older. For a lot, it's like mm. if you're good at maths and they know you're good at maths, they want you to work in finance or be an accountant or something like that. 
if you're good creatively, uh, which you were, you were one, you were like, what was it? You were good at photography or art, would you say? Mm. Yeah, when I was younger, I was always drawing. Um, so my brother and I was, you know, we were always like got a pen or pencil and paper uh, drawing anything really. And uh, we, we just loved it. You know, it was a thing that we just got lost in, spent many hours doing. Um, and, we, you know, we were kind of influenced by our elder cousins as well. who we were really into uh, creativity and drawing too. So uh, we always thought that we'd, we'd get into some kind of line of work or path in which we were able to use our talents. And I think that was a talent that we, we managed to cultivate from a young age. So in terms of turning that into a profession, um, from my point of view, I'd always wanted to do art or graphic design. And I was always inspired by, you know, visual art and graphics. So, um, but of course your parents are uh, also wanting for you to, you know, do a profession which does pay well when you're older. Um, you know, they're always thinking about your future and uh, ways of supporting yourself. So, you know, I, I went into architecture, so I, I studied uh, architecture. I applied for it at university. Um, I enjoyed art, but I also actually enjoyed many other subjects. So it was a subject at university that I could still keep an interest in um, maths or physics or, um, you know, history and and science and all these other um, subjects that I really enjoyed at school, which I didn't, I didn't really discriminate between subjects. I was, I was always kind of uh, a sponge and a uh, kind of knowledge chameleon. I was always kind of looking around and see, seeing what kind of interesting things I could learn about something about the world. So architecture was open enough for me to go into and keep my curiosity open. So, yeah. The reason why I asked about your your childhood, because and I hope you don't mind me mentioning, but you did have a cousin who went to St. Bonaventures too, didn't you? Yeah. And he yeah. was known to be a high achiever. And so would you say mm. you were, for me, St. Bonaventures, even in primary school, there was an allure about the school. It was the best school. Mm. In the borough. In the borough. It was, especially in our community, in the Filipino community, you must go there. There was no other option. It's, it's you had to go. Ca- Catholicism. It's the, you know, the. I think single sex schools as well. They don't want to get distracted. It was the <laughs> best non-private private school you could get in yeah. Newham, basically. That's and true. I would yeah. say, for me, I I bunked school in year six because um, I wasn't happy. I, I went to a school that I didn't like when I returned from Manchester, and my mum threatened me by saying I wouldn't be going to St. Bonaventures and that broke my world. Imagine in year six being told you wouldn't go (laughs) into the school that you've always been told you were going to Mm. from like the age of six, that you are not going to this school. And that for Mm. me, this is where St. Bonaventures, that instilled already a a reputation in my head that I I wasn't even aware of what I was going into. Mm. And Mm. I would say... Being in the form class in Atkinson, uh, it doesn't matter if what, what 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 if you're smart or not smart. If you're going to uni and you fail your semester or a year, it's more to do with 
who you're around, I think that's got a massive influence Definitely. on you. So with, would you say, Lawrence, that being in Atkinson, going back to that, um, being around people who are like yourself, wanting to be the top of the game, having that competitive behaviour every lesson, every hour, did that make your expectations for success even that greater? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting you talk about that because in school, I think there was a really healthy competitiveness that we were kind of bouncing off each other because there are a lot of very similarly talented and hardworking individuals who are also my friends. And, you know, looking back at it now, really lucky to be surrounded by those people. And even to this day, I'm, I'm still really good friends. And Mike, you know, the people I'm talking about as well. And uh, we've somehow managed to, throughout our lives, even since school, carried each other. Even though we've kind of gone different paths, we've always come together and we're still creative to this day. You know, even from, from day one, when we were in those classrooms, you know, drawing different designs for uh, computer games that we were, you know, doing in lessons and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I think it, it, did, it did raise the bar for us. Like, there, you know, among us and you know when you talk about the cousin that i was um who was in, also in saint bonds they also had a kind of uh, purple patch among their peers and it happened to us as well and uh our teachers at the time did see us as a, a particular wave going through the school and we were this group that were going to be successful so naturally that um, kind of galvanized us and made us want to do well when we finished school um, in whatever we were going to do later on in life. So, um, yeah, it did. It did. I have to say, it was that, that, those were the seeds of uh, where we ended up going, you know, following on our paths today. So, definitely 100%. And the teachers already with your surname, they knew you were related to your cousin. So that already had a, there was an expectation from you, not only from yourself, but teachers from the school to say, well, yeah, he set the groundwork. You need to maintain your family's name, essentially. And that most likely happened to your brother too. Um, He was a couple of years below you, right, in school? Yeah. I was in the same year as uh, Kenny. I'm allowed to say his name. No, she, yeah, she, yeah, yeah. Anyway. you are. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm in the same Kenneth. I'm in the same year as Kenneth, your brother. Um, and I remember mm. he was in he was in Atkinson as well. And like you, he was. Everyone looked up to him as like setting the standard for what an A grade student should be. And not only that, mm. I think even like the you know the students who were a bit misbehaved and they had like a a little bit of a dark streak about them. They they looked up to him as well. You know, he got along with everyone in. In the year he was, I would say he's a he's a quiet. He was one of the quieter Filipinos in our year, but um, mm. I could tell that everyone would sort of, yeah. I'd say he was like one of the cool guys in our year. A lot of because um, mm. he, I, I could go on about your brother and the kind of things he does. Because yeah, he he was a popular kid in our year, but you're all just yeah. I don't, I don't know. Really assessed to have a sexy um, life, I'd say. Yeah, it's interesting hearing other people talk about it because I guess from. From our point of view, we we were just doing what we felt was 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 good for us. So, um, yeah, I think all of the let's say the accolades or the praise or whatever that came with us, 
Um, but yes, of course, they were good. They, they give you confidence. But at the same time, we just felt like we were doing what we were passionate about. And I think that that carried us um, a long way and probably did a lot of talking for us when we didn't need to talk so much. So, yeah, I don't know if <laughs> where, the, where these ingredients came from, really, because, um, you know, our cousins are, are uh, equally successful as us. So I think it, it just naturally rubs off on you, you know. And if, if you see somebody older than you, in this case, it was my cousin that's doing well, um, you, you naturally take inspiration from that because you think those things that they're doing is is what's making them successful. So why not try and emulate that? And um, I think we were we were really lucky to have those role models when we were younger. Um, at least at least people that we could relate to. Um, and yeah, we just took that on. So for us, it was just a very natural progression. So yeah, and and that was uh, it's an easy it's an easy way out to say this, but maybe me and Jeff didn't have that. I know Jeff's Ninong Brad is probably one of the only people I would say as male role models slightly older than us we had so mm. other than that and not having um well i don't have any cousins. i don't have any brothers yeah i uh, didn't at that time and my male cousins are all in philly yeah it's funny because like we did a podcast with my niece and she i feel like she's doing well a lot better than what we were doing at, at her age um but that goes to show her dad so imani's dad is a teacher but also jj is a very Organized. She's a very organized, business-minded, yeah, high-aiming woman. person. So, it definitely has. It does come down to good examples. And earlier on, you said about your parents about how they didn't force you or push you into a direction. I, I've known. I call your mom and dad. You know, they're to me, their family. It's always nice to see them, and that's something I would always say. You've always had a, a home setting where it's been very calm and relaxed and. Do you mm. think that that's had a, a big part to play in terms of allowing you just to flourish and grow as you wanted to? Yeah, you know what, about my parents, I think, um, you know, their relationships was uh, a real constant for us. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. And, you know, they, they came to the UK. Um, my mum came to the UK 1977 and my dad eventually moved over when uh, he met my mom uh, in 1983, I believe it was. And, you know, they've both been really um, hardworking individuals, you know, day in, day out, um, may not be, you know, uh, top professionals um, by any stretch of their imagination. But uh, in that time that they both moved over in the 70s and 80s, I guess the, the landscape was very different for first generation Filipinos coming to the UK and trying to settle down and um, carve a, a little corner of London for themselves. So, um, you know, as we've grown older, my brother and I, we've come to, to admire them a lot because they, you know, in, in the London environment managed to uh, create a, a very safe place for us when we were growing up. Um, mini, mini Manila, yeah. Um, as <laughs> yeah, mini, yeah, it <laughs> was. <laughs> Which is a uh, it was a big master, guys. <laughs> you don't, yeah. it, it, when you talk about like them, um, it does sound like your house. It was a very harmonious household. I feel like that that's what you need to have, like to raise to. It, that's the kind of 
household you'd ideally want to raise your children, right? And, it, you know, not necessarily because of your job role, you know, just to have a nice, calm and happy life in the household is, I think, is what, in, in, my, in my opinion, is what I, I feel is a successful life. A support network. Yeah. yeah. Having the correct support network. Whether it be, friend, like, you know, sometimes we're not lucky to have family, as, but friends entirely, I think definitely who you select to be close to or have close around you, mm. definitely trickles down to your future or, or it directs you to a certain path. So it, it is very important to have positive people around you. And you're lucky, Loris, have had that. I'll definitely say, and I've been lucky to have you there because you have been an extended family to me as your family as Jeff to be honest when mine hasn't been uh, in front of me or close and yeah I could say the same for you Mike because I like like I said I don't have any older brothers but you and and my Ninong Brad are the ones that I consider the the male role models that I need in my life and my dad as well because my dad is hard working um but yeah I think where I, I didn't have like brothers or older cousins like to hang around with I had you I had Brad who he's not like he's always been the good godfather that I needed the the one who was like tell you how it is put me in my place oh, it's not good that to this it's not good that no it's the godfather um, okay. uh, I've learned I've learned from last time <laughs> and yeah obviously you being oh, a very close bro so oh bro okay well I think we're getting a bit too deep now <laughs> <laughs> let's bring it back a bit I would say I would say one thing. I would say one thing, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, our, our family situation was, uh, for us, really um, a nice haven for us. But I would say, <laughs> you know, my brother and I used to fight all the time. You, you wouldn't believe, like, you know, we were just going at it all the time. And maybe it was a an older brother, younger brother thing. And maybe he was getting a lot of attention. So I would kind of, like, try to put him in his place and <laughs> you know we'd, we'd um you know I, I remember when I was younger and I, I carried my brother in the kitchen and I, I kind of slipped and it knocked all of his baby teeth out and you know that was just a traumatic experience and um you know I always tended to do things to my brother which um hopefully you'll forgive me for now but um I think you know it was it was a time when um I guess, yeah, we were able to, you know, not worry about a lot of things because uh, we, we had a good environment to, to grow up in, even though I think, you know, being young it is quite volatile. You know, you do get into to arguments and stuff, but that's, I think that's just, you know, natural growing pains. You need, you need that balance. Um, you need like the negativeness in the household and you need, you know, yeah, that all yeah, yeah. push the, the positive out. Where was your first job? Yeah, I mean, if you exclude <laughs> uh, work experience uh, in secondary school, my first ever job was working as uh, a sort of junior trader or like a trainee at UBS Investment Bank in Liverpool Street. It sounds wow. pretty fancy. Well, what age uh, was this? Anyway. Straight out. I was 18. I was 18. And I'd applied to uh, an internship there with a few other people from our school. And then we met all these other high flyers at other schools as well. And we went there for a summer and that was great. And for, for an 18 year old earning that kind of money, that was just, um, it was insane. I could see how the, 
the industry is kind of attractive for for young people to to join. But I knew for me it wasn't the path I wanted to take. So I just took it as a as a good job to network and to earn a bit of money. And um, yeah, I'm still with friends with a lot of those people I am um, today. Did you have a dream job while you was at secondary school? Did you have a plan in mind? In secondary school, it was, yeah, I mentioned before, I wanted to do something to do with art or to do graphic design. Um, I was always wanting to do something visually creative. So in terms of a dream job, I think it wasn't so much a job that I wanted, but it was having the platform to be able to do those kind of things. That's what I wanted. What was, can we, can we ask, are we allowed to ask, what was the payslip like? Because the, the, <laughs> the next question I wanted to ask is, what did you spend it on? Yeah, so uh, at 18, I was earning like three three fifty a week. So that was pretty handsome for like an 18-year-old at that time. Damn. And the first payslips, or I think one of the first payslips I took, my family, all my family took, we went to Ashford in Kent cool. uh, to the outlets and uh, we just went around to the stores, man. I just dropped all my money and like spent, spent it all on clothes, not just for myself, but my, for my brother and then for my parents. Oh, so it was nice. kind of like, it's kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. But then that was it. My, my wages went that week. So I had to go back to the office and earn another, <laughs> you know, another payslip. So I think that was my entry into the working world. That's a pretty good way to spend the first place here. Yeah, that's yeah, nice. Yeah, that and it was there was another guest we had on our first one, and she spent it on grocery shopping for her mum. I think those nice. are the most selfless ways you could spend your first pay slip. We bought trainers. We bought trainers. Oh yeah, I bought trainers too. But, yeah, I bought... <laughs> you got so a matching pair for your mum and your dad and your brother. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that was at eighteen. Um, your first intern job. When did you decide to study architecture? Yeah, so it was actually around that time that I'd already applied to study architecture. So I was already looking forward to um, moving to Sheffield at that point. And um, that was really the beginning of the the industry or the field that I was going to be involved with for most of my adult life. So, yeah, it's around around the time when I applied for university, 18. 18 and the course for architecture is six years is that right yeah in total it was around seven years um but actually when you go through it you can you can do more years or you can delay some parts um there are three parts in the uk um and up until now i've done two of those parts i still haven't done the third one but yeah maybe one day i can come around to to doing it and you said you dabbled in photography and EJ and was that during the time you was at uni studying architecture or was that a later date? Yeah, I'd always done a bit of photography uh, since I was a teenager and uh, it really came on the same mid twenties while I was doing architecture as well. And, you know, architecture allows you to, to go into different uh, fields and pursue your interests, but also as part of your, your work as well, your project work. So, for me, it looks like it's a clear inspiration for what's, you know, driving you to do architecture. Um, mm. Or is there anything else that, that kind of contributes to what inspires you to, in, to what you do? Yeah, I think with the photography, um, I, I also was interested in, in people as well. Like I did 
a lot of architecture photography and I guess that's natural because that's what I studied and so I understood um, you know what to try and capture in, in spaces or buildings uh, and it's, it's a way of understanding the built environment which um, photography allowed me to do in a certain way and then you know for a while I also explored taking photos of people in the streets uh, or just out and about. And I really enjoyed candid photography, not, not so much portrait photography, even though I did do some of that for, for clients for a while. I, I did enjoy just taking my camera with me and um, just photographing what I'd see. Um, it was really... It was a squeaky bum moment about taking photos of people. Would you remember? when we were Oh, yeah. Time? Yes, of course. Of course. And, and I think it leads, it leads to this, these times where <laughs> you take pictures um, of people and you don't ask for their permission. And some, sometimes those people will confront you. And, yeah, there was a time I was with Mike and I had my film camera with me and we were passing over the bridge to Westfield. I took a picture of this guy. Uh, he went up to me and told me to delete the picture and I explained to him, well, I can't delete the picture because it's film, but sorry, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I will delete it. Don't worry. I won't, I won't um, print it or publish it or anything. And, you know, it started to get aggressive and this is at this point, Mike had to step in and, um, you know, the whole situation diffused and, um, yeah, you get those moments. I think um, as a, as a photographer, um, if you're photographing people on the street without their permission, um, yeah, you do get some hairy moments, but I think that's part of the part and parcel of what you're trying to shoot as well. So, yeah, back to your question, Jeff, uh, uh, whether photography that that inspired me. I think the way I see it is that there's a lot of uh, creative disciplines, and basically, you should always take inspiration from one and feed it into the other, um, and try and try not to to pigeonhole yourself. Because um, you never know where the next um, smidgen of inspiration can come from. So um, I think it's always good to practice uh, having an open mind and really absorbing absorbing the world and using that in your work somehow, whenever that time comes. So that's how that's how I always saw um, the things I dabbled in. So tell tell us about now how the project came about. Where you in in terms of the property in the Philippines that you are now living in. Yeah, so uh, I've been freelancing for, for a number of years now after my master's. So I graduated 2014. I did a lot of photography uh, 2014 to 2016 in London. And my parents were talking about for a number of years now to, to build a, their own house in the Philippines because we'd always come back to the Philippines. Um, when I was younger, we'd always stayed at our relatives' houses, but we never had a place for ourselves. So my parents had a plot of land next to my cousin's house and they um, wanted to build a house. So I had already graduated um, with my master's. And at that point, you know, you're really equipped with um, the tools to design your own projects. Um, and I just saw it as an opportunity. Um, and I could have stayed in London to... Uh, continue architecture and work in an office. Um, but I always wanted to just keep myself open for this opportunity that one day I could design our house. So the opportunity came, I packed my bags, 
um, went with my mum to the Philippines. We stayed stayed here at my cousin's house for around uh, eight to nine months. And during that time, I had designed our house and then we got a contractor and not knowing much of Tagalog or Filipino language at that time, um, really tried to push this as as far as I could, you know, give, 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 I gave myself the opportunity and the time to devote my efforts to it because I knew it was a very important thing that I wanted to help my family um, materialize. So I was here every day on site in, in the house I'm sitting in now, but the land that, that it was at the time to, to put this um, house into fruition. So every day I was here uh, collaborating with these builders and the contractor to realize a dream, as it were. You know, when I was younger, thinking about designing my own ho- home, that's kind of an architect's dream to begin with anyway. And I was, um, you know, given limited resources, we were able to build a house. And that was something um, I'd always wanted to do. How surreal is that where you, you created a design on paper? You're now inside the page. The page. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, you, you talk to the designers and they're, they're, you always talk about trying to, to build something from an idea that you had in your mind. So I think for an architect especially, because it takes so long to, to materialise a building or a project, um, the reward or satisfaction from that just only increases because it takes longer to to build, right? So, you know, at times it was really stressful, um, you know, learning the language at the same time and getting used to the way things are built here, which is different to the, the standards that you're used to seeing. Um, it was a whole learning curve, but also it was a way of uh, connecting with my parents and it was weird because I was, I was my parents' architects, but I was also on the client side. I was also their their part of them and and what they wanted too. So we had a lot of arguments and rows as well about, you know, what tiles we should choose, what color paint we should we should uh, paint on the walls, and what kind of materials to use. And you know, uh, at the same time, I was also having. Uh, discussions and arguments with the contractor about the quality and uh, so it was a really interesting time and I learned a lot and um, for whichever whichever next project I do I'll take that on board and but fortunately I'm, I've been able to create a space which is is great for us and we've had some some good family parties here and gatherings and um, obviously now it's a pandemic and, um, you know, living in this house, you know, day in, day out, it's definitely a, a litmus test as to whether my ideas worked or, you know, provided a good space for us. And it definitely has. And not only you living there now, you're, you're the next generation down will be able to appreciate and experience your work too, which is amazing. Like, like I said, how many people can even say that? And it's a testimony to your craft and hard work that you've done that so honestly i'm so proud of you doing that as a friend and you know i look at you in awe sometimes about it and you know yeah 
that's that's all I need to say on that one. Oh, yeah, I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> Friends, I can't. <laughs> Friends, um, I can't wait for. Yeah, you're you're both welcome to come in, man. Honestly, I'm here oh, in mate. the Philippines. If you want, I'd love to see you. Hit me up. Yeah. Like Chris in your house, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the toilet, guys. Yeah, number number two. Um, can I ask how how big is he? He's like five, <laughs> five bedrooms. <laughs> no, no, no. Wow. That's what she's. Have you gone all out when you were, um, you know, designing it and creating it? Yeah, of course. I mean, we had a budget in mind, so I couldn't go all bells and whistles with this one, but. I think that's as part of the creative uh, aspect of it is to try and work with what you've got and mm. the constraints that you have. So really trying to squeeze every peso or British pound um, into what's here. So the size of the house is um, the lot we have is uh, around 275 square meters and the house itself up and down. So ground floor and second floor, as they call it over here, but first floor for the Brits um, is 160 meters. So we didn't build across the whole lot, but I made sure that we had the nice garden space, which um, my, my mum would love to. Yeah, but I mean, barbecues also, and for my mum to do a lot of gardening, she loves her plants. So I made sure there was enough space for her to, to do that. Nice. Have you built like a fully functional shower or do you still have to do the, you know, the bucket cold water and... <laughs> Well, you can choose. You can do the tablet thing or uh, you can have a shower. So, yeah. Oh, water. I think the one thing... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not that you need. <laughs> well, I don't know. Sometimes the water's been, you know, not great here. Like, mm. there's been some times where there hasn't been any running water and that's not great. Really not good. And there was a typhoon last November and uh, we weren't... We were without water for a couple of days. So, yeah. <laughs> Interesting you- uh, municipal services here. What's the home comforts that you miss the most then, being away from London? Kebab. Chicken and chips. <laughs> no, surprisingly <laughs> not kebab, but yeah, I do miss English breakfast. Um, I miss a Sunday roast. I miss going to the pub and having a pint. You know, <laughs> these basic things that are quintessential British uh, comforts, that's what I miss. But, you know, just also being able to, I think speak with people on your on your level or on your your wavelength not that there aren't people here because there are but i think when you're from the ends you know you want to yeah i miss that kind of the banter with people from the ends that yeah the bands and um yeah just the jokes and you know of course you connect with your 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 brethren and your your people in it so i think that's what i miss the most but you know you're never too far away with a with a call, but at the same time, you do miss your peeps. Do you um? Can you are you fluent now with Tagalog, or is it? Or do you speak Ilocano? Uh, I've learned a lot. I wouldn't say I'm fluent, but I'm a ton get, better than. Well, yeah, yeah, I can, I can. So that's that's been a huge benefit as well, and I think it allows me to understand the culture better. Because um, I think maybe for some of us, like living in the UK um, we weren't um, we didn't have to use Filipino or Tagalog even though a lot of our Filipino friends do speak it you know uh, equally a lot of us don't speak it so um, it's a good it was a good way for me to learn so in terms of lifestyle 
in Philly? How how do you compare the two to how you were living when you were in ENDS? Is it a lot more... I'm not saying that you have to rest or anything. You've got your own house, but I'm, I'm assuming it's like where you don't have access to certain things like you would in UK. Yeah. Has that, has that affected like the way you live? Yeah, I think so. Um, and especially if it also feeds into what I'm doing like at work in terms of planning cities. And I think the, the, the obvious thing here is that um, it's very car centric uh, place. So uh, Metro Manila is, is all about driving around and um, it creates a huge amount of congestion and public transport is pretty limited and outdated. So I think that's one of the things I took for granted living in London was how well connected it is. <laughs> Even though when we're growing up, like some areas are really hard to to get there, like you need to get a bus and then change to another bus and get another train. But um, actually when you come here, it's really hard to get to some places without a car. And if you don't use your own car, then using public transport and other modes like tricycles, which are your rickshaws or your tuk-tuks, but they call it tricycles here in the Philippines. And then also jeepneys, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of people have to commute, you know, on five different modes of transport and it takes like three to four hours, you know, before you even get to the office. So it's just um, that was a bit of a reverse culture shock to me. Um, and I think that would be the main thing. And that that kind of time that you spend on the road or commuting, it dictates how you plan your day. Um, not to mention it's really tiring. So yeah, the weather, the pandemic, the weather. Yeah. Before the pandemic, um, you know, I was commuting two hours each way and, you know, that's not the worst of it. And, you know, I was getting sick and there's a lot of pollution as well. And you just realize how, uh, well planned the city, let's say like London is, but at the same time we can take that kind of, um, negativity into our work and try and plan future cities to be more walkable, to have public transport, um, being more accessible. I think that was part of the reason why I also came here was to, you know, with the experience I have and the education or the, the places that I've lived in to try and kind of help uh, professionals here and collaborate with them to put for a better way of um, living in cities but also planning cities too so going back to the Philippines has that been the driving force for you to want to be there to be the change and make a difference now yeah I think um, I didn't come with a kind of crusade to try and change change things here but um, I always wanted to uh, help in some capacity and I think we're very fortunate that we, we got the education that we did. So, you know, we got exposure to different types of cultures and people that um, maybe you wouldn't have, wouldn't have had if you maybe grew up in the Philippines. Because um, it, it is quite monoculture here as well. But what I would say also is that when I started working professionally here, I met so many talented people with um, a similar mindset 
And that's what I didn't realize when I was just visiting the Philippines with my family and, you know, meeting my relatives in the provinces that um, there's a lot of cutting edge things happening here. Uh, I've met a lot of really forward thinking people who are cutting edge in, in different types of industries. So um, I think maybe what we're a little bit insulated from living in the UK is is knowing the the wealth of talent and hardworking people that are here as well. So I think that's where I've been able to stay here a bit longer and explore that um, scene, um, whether it's the, you know, the media scene or the the architecture and planning scene here is there's, there's equally a good number of people here striving for the same thing. So that's what's kept me here. I think, um, that's for, for, for one reason, but you there's also a big, big one as well. So would you like to, um, could, could you tell the listeners? <laughs> share, share the good news. Yeah, so yeah, I got uh, engaged recently, um, the last few weeks. So yeah. congratulations to my now fiance Clara. So a shout out to her. Right. Um, watching her right. now. So yeah, we can do a little like sound effect. We're going, hey, <laughs> what are you uh, proposing? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, TBC okay. to be confirmed. Um, she, we are, so I'm assuming she's Filipino. Yes, yeah, she is. Yeah, so she's uh, born and raised Filipino, Quezon City, which you um, proudly say as well is the best city in the world. So yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think your life's sorted now, man. You just need to have children in that house. <laughs> That's right. One by one, step by step. Right. Got to learn from you, Jeff, as well. <laughs> no, I did not do it step by step. <laughs> um, what would you say then, Laura? I'm so, yes. So we're, we're talking to you at this point where you are now. It's not. It's not over for a long while. It's not by far the end of your story. We're just meeting you at this point in life. Do you see yourself like steering away from architecture and doing like a whole completely new? way of life in like another 10 years do you is architecture like going to be the bn is it be all end all of your life mm. or do you would you want to take photography into like your into like a professional direction yeah i think i think i've always uh, wanted to to get back into you know those things that i i did before whether it's you know, professionally or even as a hobby as well. Um, so I think I always still will have that with me. And hopefully if I create the time for myself, I will be able to go into it a bit deeper. But also, yeah, I think uh, design, architecture, planning is, is still going to be with me for a while because I think um, there's a lot of opportunities and projects that I don't even know yet that could be interesting to work on. Predominantly um, in the Philippines or would you look to come back here in the future in the UK? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to. I've always thought about coming back to the UK, but at the same time, I'm still leaving the door open to the Philippines. I am here, of course, but um, I'm not trying to fixate myself with an idea of where where I'm going to be geographically. But and also in terms of what I'd like to do, uh, I think I'm, I'm learning quite a, a few things about business and. I have a few ideas, which I'm not going to leak <laughs> right now, but I'd like to push that and see 
you know, as, as I've dabbled before, also kind of follow my nose a bit with some of the ideas I have now and, and try and push it in a more entrepreneurial setting. And uh, Philippines might just be the test bed for that. So, yeah, what's this space? I'll let you know. You're in a new chapter of your life, especially with your engagement. You know, it's, it's, a, it's going to be a great mm-hmm. year for you, I'm sure. Do you, what, what then would you say to yourself, to the younger Lawrence who was going through those times where it was tough and the really hard times, what would you say to that Lawrence uh, with your current mindset? Yeah, I think uh, I've had to deal with a lot of high pressure situations recently in the last few years. And I always thought why I didn't, let's say relapse. And I think it was a change in perception of, of how I um, dealt with situations and saw things. So I think what I'd say to my younger self is to to not pressurize myself so much, um, and I think to to learn to, to 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 not work all the time. I think that's um, you can you can easily get into a mindset where you feel like you need to work more to to, to do better and to achieve more. And I think um, maybe that's a uh, success approach which isn't always the the answer so i think in order to to prevent yourself from falling into the trap of uh feeling under the pressure and um you know not being able to to see yourself through it i think it's we have to just enjoy life as well you know uh, and i think uh, I've, i've managed to change my mindset that Yes, I do work hard, but I think you have to allow yourself time to, to relax and to to indulge in your, your other passions as well. Um, yeah, totally agree. So, yeah, I think I tell myself to just chill out a little bit more because <laughs> it doesn't matter so much. <laughs> yeah. Whilst we're on the topic of like chilling out, should we, should we move on to the next segment of, of the podcast and talk about, let, let's kind of change up a bit for this episode because normally we we talk about the guests that we interview we ask them uh, places they recommend for certain things in london let's let's let our listeners know a bit more about philippines and let's ask questions about your philippines so oh yeah okay so i haven't been to the philippines for over 20 years tell me where i would go to relax Okay, so I think uh, the first place you'd have to go to is outside of Metro Manila. Um, you go to some of the other islands. So I think Palawan is a top, top spot to, to relax on the beach and also to do some island hopping, some stunning white sand beaches. Um, for, for those who aren't geographically gifted like myself, where mm. is where, whereabouts is Palawan? Is that north, south, west? Yeah, Palawan is... Um, a sort of long strip island which is to the west of southwest of metro manila it's about an hour flight away also there are thousands of other really really nice islands and if you go around the visayas so the central region of the philippines um you know going to cebu or Bohol, where i proposed and yeah there's tons of Really, really nice islands, and everyone knows about Boracay, which is the 
the destination island Tourist. where a lot of people Back party yeah. and you have the wide beach um that's really good but actually when i went there a few years ago it was you know getting to the levels where it's like not enjoyable because there was far too many people and um it actually got shut down for about six months before the pandemic like a year before the pandemic to recover so that goes to show how much tourism was going on getting to like thailand levels um but you know like quite a beach yeah like phuket or kopipi or something is there any nice places to go diving yeah loads of good places i've only been diving once in batangas um like a taste of diving session but it was just stunning yeah i'd like to get a diving license um but there's you know if you're not into diving then you can snorkel and the waters are so clear and is the route there like a nice hike because that's another thing because i know i know a lot of people go to philippines to just go on hikes and walk around yeah. provinces and stuff so if 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 hiking is your thing and that's how you relax um i'd really recommend going up to the the rice terraces in the north uh, i've been a oh, few times they look amazing what Avengers film? Infinity Wars. They're, they're in the yeah. Film. Wasn't it Endgame with uh, Thanos? He's just chilling there in a little hut looking yeah. over the mountain. Beginning, yeah. 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 End of Infinity, Infinity Wars, War. beginning of, yeah, Endgame. So that was nice to see uh, Philippines in the credits. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, rumors, rumors, rumors are that he's still around knocking about um, <laughs> here. So. Eating Balot. Um, <laughs> whilst we're talking about rice and Balot, um, what, this is going to be a good one. You need to really sell it here. Um, can you tell our listeners like places to eat or your favourite places to eat in Philippines? Yeah, so... Apart from Jollibee. My, yeah, <laughs> apart from Jollibee. Um, what is Jollibee well, my dad's, for the non... It's like our Philippine. It's like a... Mac, no, not McDonald's. It's kind of like KFC. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a fast food chicken place, which um, if you're Filipino and you grow up with it, you know, it's like... You, you adore it and, and love it. Um, it's the Filipino spaghetti. But what is it, guys, with like, even like, while we're on this topic, well, hello, hello, right? It's just a mix of just... That's what it is, that's what it is though. That's what it's mix, called. Mix, mix. Mix, mix. Hello, hello. But it's just yeah. putting certain shit together. I'm sorry, but... I agree. I agree with Mike to some extent with that because I don't like sweet corn in my hello hello that's like a savory Again, oh my god i never heard of i never heard of sweet no, corn people hello, put a sweet corn in hello hello and i'm just like it pisses me off man no uh, well uh, like let's let's talk about this let's let's have a little discussion about hello hello what kind of thing do you approve <laughs> i've never had it in your hello hello because people will start mixing like going too far with like like i said sweet corn but then you get people that mix leche flan and ube for me that's too much i'd rather have one or the other to let, to let our listeners no, know, because a lot of our uh, to people listening do not know what a Hello Hello is, so I'm just going to explain to people what type of dessert. It's a dessert. It's a traditional dessert in the Philippines. And just looking on Wiki now, it says, the dessert usually includes sugar palm fruit, coconut sport, saba plantains cooked in syrup, jackfruit, jellies, pearls, nata de coco, sweet potato... Sweetened beans, coconut strips, agar, pinny pig rice, yams in cubes, fruit slices, flan, ice cream. Too much, man. It's just, like I said, a concoction of it's, ingredients. No, if we can simplify it for listeners, like, it's just basically ice. You either put milk, condensed milk or something, 
and then condensed, you've got, yeah, you've got your toppings, yeah. which is all the other stuff that you just mentioned. Um, but what's your ideal halo halo, Lawrence? I want to know if you know your ingredients. Yeah, there's a lot of ingredients you just mentioned. So I think there's like different variations of it. Um, yeah, I like I like ubi and halo halo. Uh, what I also like are um, the the beans that you put in there. So you have like red beans and um, and then you have your uh, nata di coco mm. so yeah your coconut and then um, did you say mama? Uh, no yeah there's <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no I love halo halo man it's just um, yeah when, when you have it out here in the heat and you have some halo halo it's just um, a nice nice mix of flavours and mm. yeah you, it, it depends on where you go to never yeah. you never had it no, so when don't I knock it until you try it. Don't knock it until you try it. So we've 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 discussed halal a lot. What kind of other things can there be to eat in Philly? Like name your favorite spots if you apart from like the well known ones, if you can. Yeah, I think of course in in Metro Manila there's going to be a lot of like uh, Filipino restaurants. Manam is a really good one if you want to take your friends out who are who are not Filipino. Um, so it's kind of like elevated Filipino cuisine but really nice and um, but I think yeah my dad's from Pampanga so Pampanga is known for being like the cuisine capital of the Philippines so if you go there you know they serve some of the best sisig uh, which is um, essentially pig's head um, oh. it's been roasted for several hours so you know <laughs> Philippines Loved, it sounds uh, like a David Cameron's initiation. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you take the heads, you chop it, you chop it all up, and wait, are we talking about um, or are you talking about food? <laughs> <laughs> talking about the sisig, the famous sisig, and then okay. you, you chop some chilies, uh, get some calamansi, and serve it on a sizzling plate, and um, yeah, have it with some San Miguel beer, and uh, life's good. Pork is a very big thing in Philly, isn't it? Don't let John. Yeah. Fork. 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 Yeah. Filipinos switch the P's and F's. <laughs> <laughs> and B, B's and V's for Victor. B's and V's. Big paper yeah. rub. <laughs> what about, um, like, okay, so let, what about chains? Because for me, I, I miss chowking. That's something I miss. Mm. Um, any other Yeah, chains? I mean... I mean Ah, chains. Um, I was thinking if you want a good halo halo, you can go to Ramon's. Ramon's does a halo halo, which is like a simple letter flan, uh, milk and shaved ice. So that is a very simplified halo halo. It's really nice. Uh, Manam, I just mentioned, another one. So that was that's a good Filipino chain as well. I mean, there are tons of others, you know. It's really hard to pick out one. Uh, of course, there's going to be a Jollibee knocking about every corner. But yeah, what do you, so you, what have, do you like getting when you go Jollibee? Or do you, do you go Jollibee much? Not. Yeah, you know what? I, I have to admit, I'm not the biggest fan of Jollibee. I'm, I'll just stick to the chicken. I'm not a fan of the sweet spaghetti thing, man. It's just, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> so if anyone wants to check out the Jollibee in the UK, there's one that's open a year or two back in Elsport. Yep. So Yeah, and actually... Yeah, the the head of Jollibee, they have like this massive global expansion plan now. So I think you're going to see a, a lot more Jollibees popping up in Europe and America and other countries. 
Nice. So yeah. Um, I want to ask us because I've literally just turned vegan recently this year. Mm. Now this is this is a hard one because I know Philippines aren't really catered for vegan ears. Mm. Um, do you know of any spots for any of our vegan listeners? You said the rice field already. Mate, <laughs> we don't eat like fucking cavemen. Yeah, we eat things that are seasoned, right? We don't just eat raw plant based. <laughs> you get the rice field. But like, okay, I'm sure they have like a vegan menu in all these chains and all these places, but for somewhere for me, I think just going to like one of your families that live in the province, man, because they they knock up some really like good chilled stuff, like jarred stuff. I remember mm. there was this like um pickled, I don't know what plant of was it bamboo? I have no clue, but it was really nice. But mm. for like any listeners that that are vegan, do you know of any places that they can go? Yeah, I don't know any like strictly vegan places, and I think to be vegan here is is quite difficult in okay. terms of choices. But um, what I would say, like you just said, you know, if you go to your auntie's place or you go to one of your relatives' places in the provinces, honestly, they're the best places, like the the most homely food, um, and they have a lot of dishes which are not meat based. Mm. So. Um, even my mum cooks a lot of dishes that just have no meat in it because she's quite strict sometimes with that, with her religious observances. So uh, there's Friday. tons of dishes. Yeah, fish on Friday. No meat. Yeah, yeah. No meat yeah, on Sunday. Like oh, no, that's a, that's a thing. And where's your well, yeah. well place in the Philippines? So where, what, what's the most jaw-dropping place you've been to in the Philippines? Yeah, it's, it's hard to pick one, but I'm always taken aback by clear waters and the white sands of any of the beaches here, especially out on one of the islands. But uh, I really also like uh, particular rice terraces. So I've been to this one called Batat Rice Terraces, and um, they're pretty well-preserved um, and just stunning uh, arrangement of rice terraces. And, um, yeah, I love that place. I can, I can go back to that place and not get tired of it. Did you do any rice picking when you were there? Yeah, so the, the first time I went there, I, I went onto the fields and asked um, whether I could spend some time, if you could teach me how to do some uh, rice picking. And uh, funnily enough, like my, my friend who came from Malaysia, we went to do it. We spent half an hour picking the rice. And uh, the rice at this point is turned like a golden yellow. So we saw these... Uh, we met a female farmers out there on the fields and we, we joined them and um, we collected a, a decent bunch and we felt, we felt really bad because we were picking them and we, you know, we wanted to offer the, the rice uh, bunch. It's called palai, the, what you collect to, to, we wanted to give them back to the farmers for, you know, it's their harvest. Right. So, and they were like, no, 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 keep it, keep it. And we were just really moved by it because, you know, we know how hard and labor intensive it is, but they were like, no, no, you can keep the, the, the bunch. And we, we eventually just gave them some chocolates. We didn't really have anything else to give them. Yeah. I was pretty humbled by that. It was, it was really nice. That's, that's a nice story. That's what I love about Philippines. Like they're very, you know, they're not, they haven't got a lot to begin with, but they're always welcome to giving you an outsider, a stranger, like they're always very hospitable and humble about it mm. you know like i said they don't have a lot to begin with but they don't expect anything when you do go there 
I mean, it depends. Some, so I've heard stories of like other family members, you know, it depends where you go. But I, I find that if in the province is where they're most welcoming and humble. What about, because um, Metro Manila, I must imagine, I imagine they must have a lot of um, retail there. Is there like a your go-to place for for retail therapy? Like, where where's the best mega mall to go to? I don't try and spend too many too much times in malls, but I think what you realise when you when you do live here is that you end up do going to the mall a lot <laughs> um, because that's where all the restaurants are. Yeah. So for me, um, I mean, I I always go to Uniqlo, but uh, you, you can go to Uniqlo anywhere, but. Uh, <laughs> I think for me, I just go to, I like going to the the restaurant spots. So there's, there's one particular place. And I think this is, it's not Filipino, but it's, uh, it's like a German bar uh, restaurant called Broadside. And I think it cater, it does cater to the Western palate a bit more, but I think it's the closest thing I can go to experiencing a pub and having a pint. Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I don't go out to eat Filipino food all the time, and I think that's just as a result of growing up and you know mm. living at home, having Filipino food, um, but not going out anywhere else to buy Filipino food because your mum or dad would cook it. Yeah, and then you know you well, go like, in the city, and you want to take well, something different, right? Yeah. What about like street food? Do you still like where you're living? Do they do the whole round in the morning where they're selling tahot or bolo? Yeah. Are those like street oh, foods that they sell? Is it in the morning? A pandisal is like one of them as well. Mm. Yeah. It's good that you mentioned that because uh, I think that's a nice thing, nice thing about it here is that you have all of these um, people in the neighborhood who sell. Um, you know, these small things like, like you've mentioned taho. So taho is the, um, like sweet tofu with the syrup and, um, tapioca, you know, yeah, tapioca balls. That's it. And there's this one guy who comes around here all the time. He's, he's one of my favorite guys. And, um, yeah, panda salad is a staple. So the bread rolls in the morning, freshly, freshly baked and. Are they sweet? yeah, they have a sweetness to it. And yeah, you can I, add, I know add, some some are some even have ube are made with ube. Yeah, yeah, you can have ube. You can have um, sweet purple yam. Back onto like retail therapy and things like that, because I remember I haven't been to Philly in so long. But when I last went, I I remember saving up pocket money and just splurging out on like loads of trainers because I was a kick head, kick ahead back in the day. Can you plug a place where you can get, you know, your fresh gums? I'm, I'm bringing it back to the day now. Um, like whether you say someone wants to get a pair of brand new and one trainers, where could they go? Do you know places? Oh God, there's actually a pop-up, a Jordan store pop-up in BGC recently. And I went down um, to check it out, but I realized how hyped it was because I recently just got into basketball, um, you know, because of the lockdown and watching uh, NBA and stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went there and it's, they were like selling these really limited edition uh, Manila Jordan sneakers. Ooh. And there were, my brother actually contacted me like a couple of days late uh, 
to try and secure a pair. But then when I saw them, when they went on sale, they were just selling for ridiculous prices, like 400,000 pesos on eBay. Because, you know, we're expecting uh, people to understand. But Filipino is, they're very heavily influenced by the American culture. Mm. So basketball, basketball is massive over there, isn't it? It's, it's the main sport, that and boxing, I'd say. Yeah, but yeah, you mentioned boxing. So Manny Pacquiao, man, when we, when he was at the the prime of his career, like he was, he was the the icon of the Philippines. So he still is, I'd yeah, say. that's he still is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's in politics now, so I think his reputation's a bit um, taking a different direction. But I think at the height of his career, even up until now, as as a boxer, I mean, he's admired like the world around. So. Mm. That was that was a great thing for us, actually. You know, have you met? Have you had a chance to meet him? No, I haven't. My, my cousin has, um, so I think he he managed to meet him one my, time. I think my dad has met. My my dad's taken a picture of him. Right, right. Yeah, he yeah. In yeah. London once, I don't know what for, but yeah, my dad. My dad. He was good. He was good because you know he was fighting all these uh, top. Top people, Oscar De La Hoya, Ricky Hatton, and all of these, and yeah, Floyd. You know, we we we, we were able to Floyd, we don't talk about something that. like. Yeah, we were able to support somebody from our country, and that's that's something I don't think we've experienced for yeah, you know definitely ever since ever. Law, if you can, can you leave us with some words of wisdom for our listeners? Yeah, what I would say is um, to to follow your passions, uh, but also don't let the trappings of your passion prevent you from uh, striving for your ultimate goal. And then if you don't have a goal, I don't think it's the end of the world. I think it's still good to to push on and always follow your nose to any opportunity that gets you to work with people um, who are like-minded and give you an opportunity to work on projects that will make a difference. And it doesn't have to be a big, big difference that you need to get involved in, but you know, as long as it's making a positive impact, however great or small, it's um, always worth your time. So yeah, good luck to you, whoever's listening in your path and uh, stay positive. That's amazing. Thanks. Thanks for that, Lawrence. Yeah. Just before, just before we wrap up and, uh, finish up with the podcast can we can you let our listeners know where they can see some of the projects that you're working on is there something that's been is there somewhere where it's being published like on a website or in a magazine like you said um, some of the work you do with magazines where can they find your work to have a look at and curate yeah so i think a lot of the work and projects i've been working on has been scattered on on many platforms so if you want to see what I'm up to personally, uh, even though I've not been active so much on social media, you can always just a plug for myself, but not really promoting anything underscore Lawrence Carlos. And in terms of my work, well, I'm working for Acom right now. They got recently ranked number one in the industry by Forbes magazine. Oh, so, that's, wow. that's so that's more in the planning design infrastructure industry, um, but they're a global firm. So, uh, they have a global presence, uh, so you can always check out their stuff online. Yeah, I mean, I used to work for Blueprint Magazine, so that's the the forefront of the architecture and design publications here in the Philippines, and had a great time there. Um, it really got me back into the game. So you can log on to their Instagram or their website 
for you know stuff that I've worked on before, like interviews and features of Philippine uh, architects and design, but also across Southeast Asia too. So they're worth checking out too. Cool, that's brilliant. Thanks for that. To draw this to a close, is there anything else you want to add to this, Mike? Yeah, I'd like to say just with like listening to your story and how you've evolved over the time I've known you, which is over two decades now, to see the highs and lows that we both have experienced together and to be there for each other at the time, I think that's a really important thing to have. As, as I said at the beginning, I've known you for over two decades now, so seeing where what you've achieved and you know the, the highs and lows that you've had and to where you are now, I'm, I'm happy to see how you've evolved as a person and where you're going and it's amazing and I'm, I'm proud to say you're one of the closest people in my life and I'll always be appreciated for what you've done for me and I'll always be here for you when you need me, mate. And that's all I can say really to that. Oh, friends. <laughs> <laughs> now, can I, can I also just um, add to that and be like, you know, I think we're very lucky to have you on this podcast considering you're the first person we've interviewed who's from abroad, who's across the pond. Um, so thank you. I know, what's the time in Philippines right now? It's quite late. Yeah, it's coming up to uh, quarter to 11 now. I'm yeah. so sorry we kept you this late. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's really, good. It's been a good chat. It's been really, really good. appreciate you coming. And um, yeah, it's, it's been nice to talk about going back to how it was in the ends, in Bond's days and that. But yeah, most importantly, you know, reflecting on what you've done in your life and hopefully, you know, all of the advice you've given, all of the journeys you've been revisiting or on the podcast, hopefully inspires a lot of our listeners, um, especially within the Filipino community and um, who aren't part of it. So I, I think it's, it's like, like I've said for a lot of our guests, it's always insightful when we do this. Um, and I hope a lot of people will learn and take lessons from this podcast of, you know, how to keep pushing through and where, whenever they're still steered away from the normal path, they don't give up. So yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that, Lawrence. I've, I've yeah. missed myself personally. So yeah, I just want to say thank you when I can. Yeah, I want to thank you both. Um, I think just a shout out to Mike as well, man. Just, um, yeah, over 20 years. And I'd like to think that even if we might be living in different places right now, there's there's never been a second where uh, it hasn't felt like we could just slip back into it and, um, you know, take it back to how it used to be as well. But it's, it's always felt the same. And, um, yeah, you've always been there for me as well. I'd like to think that I'm... I'm even though I do get busy, I'm still there for you. But um, yeah, pure pure love, man. Uh, and I'm ha- only happy to share um, my experiences. And um, yeah, and if that uh, gives something to your listeners to to, to chew on, uh, all the better. Yeah, I'm grateful for your time too, Law. And I know you know, and that's what that's why it's important. You always reach out to the people. Sometimes you may feel alone, but really you're not. You need to just be grateful and have be ble- just look. If you just see through the shit, sometimes you, it's not as bad as it can seem. So just have gratitude and look count around. Your blessings, and, yeah, exactly. Count your blessings, and mm. you know sometimes we just do take things for granted, and you just need to look maybe at your phone book to see that there is someone always there for you and you are that person always and you you know I know when to get in touch and like you said when we haven't spoken for a while it's never a case of there's been a gap or it's natural it's just organic thank you again 
for your time. Thank you. We will definitely be catching up with you in the future to see how your the projects that you you've mentioned how it's come come into fruition and after, you after you've been married we can see how how marriage life yeah is. yeah exactly is yeah and there's a lot to look forward to yeah it's exciting times man but um law have a good night have a good rest and jeff until next time until next time this has been begin with the ends with jeff and mike